Hello and welcome to another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I have with me, as always, my co-host and friend, Grant McGalliard. Grant, how are you? You know, Parker, you could joust the windmills with that old Fender guitar and probably do about the same. Uh, I'm doing all right, man. How about yourself? I am uh, I am doing well. I saw today somewhere someone posted that it was the college football equinox, that we are equal number of days away from the national championship as we are week zero. Um, and so that's exciting because it means every day, like we say often, college football is a little bit closer. Yes, every day college football is a little bit closer, and every day we can stop talking about things we talk about in the offseason, which are the most maddening things in the world. Um, if somebody I, sends me another big game boomer list, I'm gonna I'm just gonna delete we, my Twitter account. We're what already deviating from the agenda. Big game boomer might be a genius. He is. He absolutely is. It's it's just. I mean, I ha- I have him muted, um, not for any reason other than like his stuff is designed to get a visceral reaction, and I'm just don't need. I just don't need to consider it at all. Um, but it is like one. He just does it consistently, and two. He's just hidden in a vein where people are like, I care who the friendliest coach is. And so I'm going to be outraged if my coach isn't number one on this, which is just the dumbest of all dumb things, but good for him for tapping into it. Be honest. You're just mad that you weren't named TCU's uh, best Twitter follow. Oh, did he do that? Oh, Colin sent us that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Jeremy. Who which, was... Yeah. We love Jeremy, but um... yeah, it's great. <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I'm not a best TCU follower. Yeah, no. I think uh, we have a lot of churn of uh, followers from people who just want like complete fanboy stuff. Um, I don't know if you. I wish I wasn't plugged into this, and there's been, but people are sending it to me. Um, have you seen the 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 shift in Baylor Twitter from uh, Gary Bohannon is all conference to actually Blake Shapen is Zach Wilson 2.0? So I've I um, haven't seen it exactly, but I've seen everything talking about those tweets, which is extremely funny to me. It is, um, it's a mood and it's not just one person. That quote is, is one person, but it's not just one person. It's like the, 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 the sheer optimism you have to admire. Just the general, um, yeah, just, just pretty great there. Anyway, um, maybe I would have been TCU's best follower if I would say that Chandler Morris is all conference and an NFL guy and, uh, and that he was the best quarterback, uh, ever. But, um, I do think that big game boomer tagged me in a, um, like, most sensitive fan base or something. Cause I tweeted about muting him. And so like, he's tried two or three times to like tag me again. Cause all he's doing is just trying to get engagement. Yes. However it works. And so I, that's, that's one of the reasons I haven't muted him. Muted is just like, I just don't care about this. Um, well, first off, we should mention, you're talking about future TCU starting quarterback, Gary Bohannon. Uh, second off, I, <laughs> I think, I think Big Game Boomer's a genius. We are big fans of Big Game This Boomer. has been the this Purple the- Theory <laughs> Podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs> what are we actually talking about? You're driving the ship. You've let me take it off course. Uh, Grant, what is ruining college football this week? What is what, uh, We need to talk about the, the issue. Um, I'm talking, Grant, about people who made a commitment and said they were going to be somewhere and in the cover of night deciding to go somewhere else for better opportunities. Um, You're talking about the Baltimore Colts. <laughs> you, you might think that you might think I'm talking about the Brooklyn Dodgers. Um, 
You might even think that I'm talking about uh, millionaire coaches who are texting people at 2 a.m. saying, sorry, you're going to see this on social media, but I'm leaving. Uh, no, in fact, I'm talking about how what's going to ruin college football this week is um, players pursuing better opportunities through the transfer portal and capitalizing on their name, image, and likeness uh, through through monetary deals. Um, evidently, that's it. College football's done as we know it. It's 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 uh, never going to be the same, and uh, that's sad news, I guess. Um, if you if you believe it, you know who I feel really bad for um, in this scenario are all of the major conference executives, all of the college football playoff heads, everyone at ESPN, our our, our boys over there um, that you know really made all these big deals, and now you know now that these eighteen nineteen year olds are determining where the futures are, they just they're just going to be out in the streets, Parker. I mean, there's going to be an influx of suits, you know, pouring out of the Gaylord Texan that just have nowhere to go. You, you know what people haven't thought about here? They haven't thought about how those seven-figure execs, if you let college football players make seven figures, inflation's going to go crazy. And then their seven figures is not going to be that much anymore. And we got to think about who the real victims are here, the TV executives. Um, and, uh, and, and I just think it's important we keep them uh, near and dear in our hearts as we consider the ramifications of dynamic policies like um, allowing players to make appearances and get paid for it. We used to have Steve Jobs, Johnny Cash, and Bob Hope, and now we have no cash, no jobs, and no hope, Parker. We, we, this country's gone downhill. We used to build railroads here. No, it, it's ridiculous. And and okay. listen, we... I'm, I'm going aside here because the best college football version of that is about Georgia Tech, where it's like Georgia Tech in 2004 had... Um, uh, Calvin Johnson. Uh, isn't it? Calvin Johnson, yeah. Tashad Choice, and uh, Monty. It's not Monty Ball. It's whatever it is. And now they have Reggie Ball. Uh, no Johnson, no balls, and no choice. <laughs> anyway, that was really That was a boomer. That. That's, that's, that was a real. Speaking of big game boomer, that was a real boomer moment right there for me. Uh, t- uh, <laughs> inaccurately quoting a paraphrase of a Facebook meme from 2004. <laughs> this has been the Purple Theory Pocket. No, I, I. Look, we talked a lot about, you know, we're in support of NIL, and I will qualify that by saying that it does, it does change the face of college football, and change is hard. Um, and I don't think the system that we've moved to is perfect. Um, I'm all for people getting the bag. Um, I do think the number of people and players, not just in college football, but in college basketball as well, um, in the portal is, I would say more than I expected. Um, and some of that is NIL driven. Some of that is just, hey, you have more opportunities through the portal now. Um, it's a different landscape. It's better, but it's not perfect. Yeah. But let's not let and perfect be the enemy of the good. A lot of people are using the, the there are flaws, so we should stay with the old status quo mm-hmm. argument, which is just dumb. Um, and I'm open to solutions, but I'm not open to there are no good solutions. And what we should do is continue to rely on underplaying uh, undercompensating players while also allowing coaches to move freely at, at a whim and be duplicitous and for their for their personal gain. Um, I do think that there are two things that we should remember when we're talking about NIL. One, um, a lot of this has been happening under the table, and so you shouldn't be shocked. Um, and uh, maybe three things: one, a lot of it's happening. Two, there's going to be a market correction. This is new. Um, and everyone's getting in the portal. They're looking at all these deals. They're going to find that there aren't that many deals that are better. The, those are the rare cases. You know, th- there's not seven figures waiting for every college football player. Uh, except in Omaha, Nebraska, apparently, uh, according to Casey Thompson and O'Shawn Mathis. But 
not yeah, going to go there. Yeah, and and Nebraska's poning up, and good for them. That's great. Um, but I, I think that that's not going to happen for every player, and there's going to be some overcorrection. They're going to be uh, – I'm waiting for the first round of NIL busts where we've paid these players. So the opposite of what happened that Miami kid who led them to the mm-hmm. Elite Eight and said, I want more. The opposite of that, the player who says, hey, wait a minute, you were paying me this, and then I had a bad season, and now you're not paying me this. What's happening here? We're going to have to deal with that. Um, three, I think I just have to make my ever-standing point that two driving forces in college football have to be considered when you're talking about any systematic structural thing. Um, one of those is the COVID year and the roster eligibility uh, puzzle, Jungle Gym, that it induced with that extra year of eligibility and um, how we have players who've been in college for seven years now and there's some friction there. Secondly, anything we're talking about structural transformation in college football, we have to acknowledge that Nick Saban will die someday. Um, And we can't make a rule based on Nick Saban existing. We have to think about college football structure as a whole. So when we're looking at solutions and we're criticizing problems, we have to think about one, where are the roster irregularities and the transfer portal irregularities from kids who never got to see campus who, who signed somewhere for COVID. Um, And then two, we have to think about there has been very little parity in the sport of college football specifically in one program. And um, that's not going to last forever. How do we design systems that don't just um, react to the current zeitgeist of the power balance of college football. Yeah, I want to touch on the Saban thing specifically um, because I don't have the exact quote in front of me, and I don't want to misquote him, so I'm just going to paraphrase him. But Saban essentially kind of repeated what he said when he flipped from a defensive-focused program to an offensive-focused program, which is, is this what y'all want college football to be? Because if so, I'm going to beat you at it. And I, you know, and I don't want to incriminate any. Listen, who knows? I don't know if Alabama was playing payers under the table. I don't know that. If I had to guess, like any self-respecting college football program, they were. But um, it, the balance of college football is not going to shift because of NIL. It's going to shift when Nick Saban retires. And that sounds like me being a fine bomb caller, but I do think that's the biggest driver of college football right now. So, Yep, I think I think that's uh, apt apt analysis there. Um, not, not to harp on her. I always, always feel like I listen to podcasts and I'm like, oh, it's just two dudes talking about stuff that we've seen on Twitter and they're saying the same thing. And hopefully we're not doing that, but hopefully we can just remember like there, there, it can, it can be true that the current, um, kind of online groupthink isn't right about what should be happening in college football, but it can also be true that the old heads who are saying that college football is done are no different than any old head that's ever existed that has said that something new is going to be bad. So I think we need to wait for the market correction. I think um, the, the the inevitable reality of freer transfers for players and this NIL stuff is there are going to be NIL busts. There are going to be players who transfer and get in a worse situation, and it's a worse decision for them. People are going to point those out and say, oh, this is why the transfer portal is bad. And it's not why the transfer portal is bad. Players should have the right to self-determination and the right to get compensated for the labor. Um, and so because some of them are going to make bad choices, doesn't mean that we should restrict it because some of them are going to come up on the, on the, they're going to come up South of the line. Doesn't mean that we should throw the system away entirely. I think. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, it's, it's true detective season one, episode two, Woody Harrelson talking to his father-in-law. I bet every old man through history has said the same thing and old men die and the world keeps spinning. Yay. And verily, um, this has been the purple thing. <laughs> <laughs> just. I feel like that's our big. Can, um, can I say one more? I'm sorry, I, I just want to. Please. Like, it just NIL is obviously it's the biggest topic in college football, biggest topic in college sports. Um, 
there's a reason we keep talking about it. I would just like to voice my own opinion, which is that I am damn tired of talking about it. And I'd like to sort of give almost a year, year and a half moratorium so that we can see those NIL busts. We can kind of let this whole system play itself out and, and address the flaws and identify them so that, you know, a year, year or two down the road, hopefully the NCAA and me hoping the NCAA to do anything correct is probably a waste of time. But just let's get a fuller picture of it before we immediately start freaking out is all I ask. I hope that we've sufficiently rounded out our um, Hayekian position regarding uh, NIL and the uh, <laughs> real business cycle theory of college football player transactions. I would say, I would say that we're uh, on the road to serfdom if I were you, Parker, but that's, that's just me. Uh, um, have you seen the, everybody's seen this. Have you seen the Hayek versus Keynes rap? No, what? No, oh nobody's gosh. seen that. It is a banger. It's great. It's um, it's this comedy troupe, Yacht Club, something Yacht Club. The bald guy who's in it was in the office later on. He was like one of the dudes okay. at Jim's new business. It's that like comedian. If you knew him, you'd see him. Uh, the, it's called something Yacht Club. I can't remember. But they, this guy got hired by uh, an economist who was uh, part of a think tank or something. I don't know. They're probably... Uh, endorsing dropping bombs on the Middle East or something. So I don't want to, I don't want to like endorse whoever this, whoever did the video, but the video itself is very funny. It's talking about the historical differences between Keynes and Hayek. Absolute banger. I'll, I'll tweet the link later tonight because, um, very informative and very funny. Anyway, um, I, I gotta be honest. This is the first time we podcasted in like a month and a half. I didn't expect, I'll tweet the link to the Hayek. <laughs> Keynes. I'm going to, I'm going to tweet the link to the Hayek video. <laughs> The I, I want to pose a question. I want to pivot here sure, away from NIL because I think that, um, you know, we could shake our fists to the clouds and, and whatever. Um, I'm, I'm going to just kind of lay something out and ask you a question. Okay. Um, pivoting a little bit more TCU centric uh, now that we're, what, 30 minutes into this, 15 minutes into this podcast. Um, TCU had three glaring problems in 2021, Grant. Mm-hmm. First, they were awful at finishing drives. They were pretty good at, 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 at getting quality possessions, but awful kind of converting that into touchdowns mm-hmm. 3.75 points per echo or points per quality possession. They were ranked 96th. Um, their run defense ranked 117th allowing 0.182 EPA per rush. And the pass blocking was so bad. You had to have an extra blocker. They only had 119 true pass sets out of 383 dropbacks. Um, Grant, when we looked at the spring game and the kind of first taste of Sonny Dykes and his new TCU program, did we see anything that would make us think, did you see anything that would make you think that any of those three problems are going to improve? Um, so this is um, the one that I think was closest to improving may have been the run defense. I think I saw a couple, uh, a couple good plays. Um, but I think it was also against the offensive line where they were switching out a lot of different people. Um, and it probably wasn't a true 1v1 scenario. Um, D-, D. Winters versus Chris Dyke is not exactly an advantage no. match. Um, and when it, when it comes to, pa- I mean, if we're just going to get into it, when it comes to pass blocking, Kendry Miller may as well be a turnstile. I like Kendry Miller. Uh, any quarterback behind him is not safe. Um, during pass blocking, that's probably mean to say, but whatever. Uh, it's been a while since I've been able to. Be it's mean not necessarily his, his. It's fault, not, but he but is a net neg. I, I've gone through the cycle on Twitter multiple times of, oh my gosh, Kendra Miller cannot block. To maybe the protection was bad and and he got put in a bad spot. To he really cannot block. Right, and I like him as a running back. Like he should be used as a running back, as a pass blocker. You know, we could probably design better schemes. 
Um, just go five wide. Yeah. Just yeah. Just go five wide. Screw. Kendrick Miller. I'm trying to be a little more stats based because I know what happens sometimes. Grant, I'm vamping, but I'm doing it. Is I talk and I have stats in my head and I think about them and I don't. It's, we talk about like first principles mm-hmm. in the during the season. I forget that sometimes. So Kendrick Miller. Um, he had a 57.1 pass block grade for whatever that's worth. He allowed one sack, one hurry, and two pressures. Um, only a 90% efficiency, uh, or a 90% efficiency, which I think is probably misleading. Um, but generally just not a good blocker when he was asked to block. Uh, 40% of the time he was blocking, 40, 44, 44 of his snaps he was blocking. 15 of those were pass block. So, Two, four pressures on 15 is better than, worse than one in five. So that's not good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think I accidentally took us too granular there. So let me, let me back out to your original question. Yeah. Um, of the three major weaknesses that TCU had last year, what we saw in the spring game, the red zone was abysmal. Um, I think the lone red zone touchdown was the, the touch pass to QJ from, uh, from Duggan. Uh, there are a lot of passes short of the goal line. Uh, I think there was a fumble. Anyway, um, and then the pass def- the pass blocking was horrendous. No matter what defensive line linebackers were, were in front of them, every single quarterback in the game was forced to scramble. Um, hardly anyone got their feet set on any pass over twenty yards. Um, so, if I had to pick one, I would say the run defense seemed improved. But that would I be think where I'm I at. think that's fair, and just an argument from regression. Um, it started out pretty rough last year and watching some like today I was watching some of the SMU TCU game just because SMU rushed a bunch there and I was trying to get a better sense of how they might rush this year this fall and multiple big plays where TCU defenders are holding their hands out looking around yelling at each other because they don't know what's going on Mm -hmm. so hopefully on that front this defense will be a little better also I think that um last year for TCU's run defense the last couple of years defensive backs have been asked to take ambitious angles yes um and with uh joe glipsy gillespie's um new spill and kill uh i think that linebackers are going to be put in a better position to make um impact hits so i'm optimistic about that for sure um regarding the red zone i i agree i do think the offense is stalled in so much as they move the ball at all they did stall a little bit in the red zone i wonder if that's not install and a little bit of creativity um Although I am concerned that, you know, SMU wasn't like amazing at, at finishing drives, but a lot of their highlights have um, really bad blown assignments. They're playing in the AAC, right? So obviously they're going to get a lower quality of, of offense. And it wasn't necessarily that the scheme went well. It was more blown assignments. That might be the case. Um, I'm just going to come out and say it. Uh, neither of these quarterbacks look um, like they are suited to take over Tanner Mordecai's role. Can I tell you the best um, pass I saw all game? Was it the Max? Are you about to say the Max Duggan pass interference on like the very first well, drive? <laughs> I think I might have been overthrown. I'm actually talking about Sam Jackson. Like he got like sacked, quote unquote, or that, and just kind of slung it like offhand and threw it like yeah. 40 yards to the front corner. Uh, yeah, it was a hell of a throw. I, I was very. It's kind of like one of those referees. You know how like the referees will do that like weird underhand yeah. throw, and some of those guys can zip it. It kind of looked like it that. Did. Like he just had it was a amazing. On the ball. I was really impressed. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. But continue, yes. Um, and so the so I think that Duggan and Morris are mobile in different ways, and I think that Morris is um, probably more elusive but less durable. Mm-hmm. And I 
wonder how they're going to be able to kind of tailor an offense to, hey, the offensive line's not great. Hey, maybe your downfield arm isn't what we want it to be. We're going to have to put some quarterback run game in there. Tanner Mordecai ran like 10 times last year. Um, yeah. There's not a lot of design run packages in there. I wonder what they're going to be able to do to kind of figure out how to isolate and get that counterpunch when, you know, Quentin Johnson gets double teamed. Um, who, who's, how are they going to, how are they going to take advantage of your quarterback? Can't put the ball exactly where you want it to. Um, what TCU has done the last couple of years is they just said, screw it. We're just going to keep trying and hit their head against the wall over and over and over again. I am interested to see what they do in fall camp. Yeah. In that regard. So, couple things. One, A, you cut out, so I, I apologize if I repeat anything you said. But, but when it comes to, okay, QJ's doubled, you know, we can't just force the ball to him, right? I texted you this. I'm selling myself on Gunnar Henderson as an inside slot receiver. Yeah, you, but you have Darius Davis and Tay Barber. I don't no, no, no. Know. That's fine. I, it's, sure. Okay, great, great, great. Please. No, no. On, on that note. Okay, I, I, I don't I'm not up to date on Gunnar Henderson, right? I think he's incarnate word transfer. I don't know what he can be. I know what Tay Barber and Darius Davis are, and I know that Fair. they can probably succeed in that role, right? Kind of a lot of inside Fair. inside slot screens where they're just running across, catching um, the short drag routes. Um, he even went deep, I think, to Henderson one time. I'm just saying, if, and I don't want this to sound mean. I don't know what Gunnar Henderson can be, but I think Davis and Barber can pull that off is what I'm saying. Yeah. So I was a little enthused by that. The other thing you mentioned, uh, mobility. Duncan wanted to run so damn bad during that game, and he couldn't because, you know, it's a spring game, you know, much quarterbacks get touched, whatever. They finally let him run zone read, and he took it like 40 yards. And I think it was Estridge on the call, if I'm not mistaken, on ESPN. Um, yeah. And, and he said, Max Duggan, I, I'm quoting directly, Max Duggan does zone read better than any country in the, any quarterback in the country, maybe. <laughs> he like he said it was like eh, maybe, but I believe it. By the way, we love Brian Astridge. This is not a Brian Astridge look, but yeah. Um, no, this is this is specifically a we hate Brian Astridge podcast. <laughs> don't yeah, do that quote to us. Me. I that. love Brian. Oh, my gosh, but, no, um, but that made me laugh. No, that was funny, and they they did a great job. I have a bone to pick with ESPN about like. I love their audio. I I didn't need to see Brian and the plays split screen the entire yes. time. I don't know what ESPN was doing with that broadcast, um, but but Brian did a great job, and um, uh, whoever was on the sideline was Landry. doing a great job. Right? So yeah, did a great job. Land, yeah. Landry was on the sideline. I I always joke whenever I whenever Landry pops up, like he was on Michael Felder's podcast a couple weeks ago, and then I saw him on there. I always joke with him that he has a face for uh, a face for radio. Face for radio. My yeah. dad yeah. always says that's why I podcast, but. Um, no, glad to see glad to see Landry out there, and um, yeah, I don't I don't know I I came away from the spring game thinking that both sides of the ball were worse off than I anticipated, which is classic Parker classic Parker right absolutely what you'd think that I would think, but I just didn't see anything that really inspired too much confidence there. Um, I think that the 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 lines are really really weak units. Yeah. And so one, if this is what you're rolling out there, the the ceiling is pretty low on those two units. Two, you're an injury away from a real bad season. Well, so Estridge actually pointed this out, and I thought it was pretty um, pretty apt. Moving to a three down 
kind of lessens the the holes on the defensive line because you have fewer defensive linemen. You know what I mean? So like, sure, you'd want yeah. those three to be good, but you're not. It's not four players on the field that you're worried about. It's three. Um, I also really like. Uh, uh, sorry, I took notes. I'm looking at him, but uh, uh, Demotic Williams, uh, nose tackle, big dude, freshman. I don't see a lot of playing time, but I think it's some potential. Um, no, but, but I, I can I ask what you thought about the three down on defense because I was I was intrigued by how they used it. Even if the, the, the personnel isn't quite there, I kind of like how they moved people around and used the linebackers to kind of extend things on the on the edges. Yes, and so I've, I have a little bit on Twitter uh, of film where I just kind of went back and watched a little Gillespie. Shout out to Kevin at um, 11 Warriors, the Ohio mm-hmm. State blog. He, when they played Tulsa last year, did a yeah, bunch great video. of breaking down that defense and yeah. the video and the, and the article and everything. Um I like it because I think one, that's just kind of how football is evolving to defend modern offenses. Basically you're asking one guy to do the job of two and then freeing up a linebacker with that interior nose. Um, And it's a little bit more elegant in that it's less bodies and gaps and more kind of um, how do we work around space? And so I like that for the run defense. I think that part of TCU's big play problem the last couple of years is that there's a lot of pressure on there's kind of like interlocking pressure on the defensive line to make their run fits, the linebackers to anticipate where the breaks are and fill, and then the safeties to take the right angles and prevent a big play. And there's a lot of like failures that can potentially happen there. And so with this, it does feel a little bit more like you have a safety net because you do have um it's it is a three three, but it is kind of more like a three four. Mm-hmm. And so you really have a little bit more of a safety net to say, hey, we're going to try and catch you at the uh, at the line, but then we're also going to have kind of this contingency in place to get the, um, you know, get the three to five yard stop instead of the 15 to 20 yard stop. One thing that I don't like that does make me very nervous is that so much of this relies on the nose tackle. Yes, And it relies on having two types of nose tackles, and TCU really doesn't have a guy. Um, I think it's a huge miss that TCU couldn't get Jackson Player to follow Gillespie mm-hmm. from, uh, from from Tulsa. Um, but I, I really think that TCU needs a, a bigger guy. I know they got that transfer um, who, who's about 305, and I know... Dude, I feel like Sonny Misi is rocking like 310, 315 plus. He looks yeah, big. Yeah. Um, and he is a hard worker who has given a lot to the TCU football team. He's been put in a lot of bad situations. He does not need to be your starting nose tackle. Yeah. And so TCU needs a big guy to emerge. And then they need, you know, that faster, hey, it's third and eight. We've got to put a little more versatile guy in there. Um, and so it, just because this, what we've been used to is a defense that's so reliant on a linebacker and safeties making plays. We really need a, a disruptive nose tackle in this defense. Which the last time TCU had one was Ross Blacklock on his best day. And even then, he wasn't a consistently disruptive player. Um, yeah, and he wasn't, I mean, he wasn't like necessarily asked to be in the same way that this nose tackle sure, is. But no. yeah. It, it as is, far as an interior I mean, lineman. Yeah. I mean, I think that Blacklock like led the line in pressures that yeah. you're playing from the B gap, which is just absurd. And being very um, clearly the best defensive lineman. On the roster. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. Can I ask you a question that I probably should have asked you up front? Yeah. 
How much do we learn from a sprint game, really? Um, I did not mean to do this, but I'm going to answer that question. And then Drew Davidson just tweeted a picture of a Gary Patterson quote from the Fort Worth magazine. Oh, We're going to talk okay. about this in a second. Okay. Um, okay, so I think to properly evaluate a team based on a spring game, you have to, one, understand the confines of the spring game. So, like, you won't hear me talking about how great Max run, Max Duggan looks in the running game and TC's quarterback run game is going to be elite right. because they're not tackling him, right? Like, that's not um, – that that Texas A&M quote is so funny. That clip, it's uh, it's Hayes King, uh, Haynes King running, like, 40 yards for a touchdown after he, like, scrambles for a little bit. And the announcer goes, and here comes the speed of Haynes King. <laughs> and you can just see the defensive backs, like, stand there and just, like, let him run by <laughs> Um, he's fast. He's good. It's just spring games are funny and they're for fans. One, I will say something that we haven't said is that it's awesome that we got to watch it. It was a production. The players were excited. Although it looked like Dykes afterwards was a little disappointed with the level of competition. Um, and that might've been the way they separated the teams. I think they'll probably do that differently next year and more equitably split. So we get ones on ones and twos on twos. Um, so that's cool, and that aspect is fun for the fan thing, but you have to remember what a spring game is, what the confines are. You have to have a good prior coming in. So my prior on this TCU team is that uh, there is skill talent, same as last year. There's skill talent. If the offensive line can't hold up um, and can't take any kind of meaningful step forward or have a pulse at all, it's going to be another really hard year in kind of crucial offensive situations. And my prior on defense is that it's going to be hard to turn over and get the right personnel in there. Nothing in the spring game changed my priors very much about that. So I didn't learn a lot. I just didn't get a lot of new information. No, I, I think that's a really fair way to put it. And I, I don't want to go down this road I, I, uh, that I'm about to say. So I'm just going to say something but then make that clear. But um, I had an argument with some people, on, uh, and I think we talked about this too in our group text, but some, some old diehards people about what year TCU was in. Is this a year zero, year one, year half, you know, whatever. Um I think four months into a coach's tenure um, with a roster that already had some issues, um, I- I'm willing to not panic at the results of a spring game. Um, I-, I Like I said, I like some of the things I saw on defense with Gillespie. I think uh, the offense showed some wrinkles that I was excited with, and then at the same time, every issue from last year still remains. So yeah, yeah I-, I think both names can be true. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's, I mean, I just tried to watch it and be excited and say like, oh, yeah. this is fun. Like I like seeing, you know, I like seeing it and um, yeah, we'll kind of see. Well, I mean, obviously all, all we can do is see what happens. Teams have had bad spring games. Teams have canceled spring games and had great seasons. They've had great spring games and that, you know, that's kind of, I tweet that out and retweet that every so often. Like the golden rule of spring games, is like if your quarterback looks good, it's because your defense is bad. Mm-hmm. And if your quarterback, if your defense looks good, it's because your quarterback's bad. And that's kind of, nobody looked great in the spring game for TCU. So maybe that's a good sign. I don't know. Yeah. Bud Clark got mossed uh, by Darius Davis, which was unfortunate. Um, and then had a pick, which more th- that that I don't know if he actually caught it or not, but when he dove and and kind of caught that tip ball from the Morris throw deep, that's one of the worst throws I've ever seen. It was not good. No, no, I can't remember who the receiver was, but had his corner in stride. Morris threw it like back into the left of, or back into the right of him, straight tip to Bud Clark. Not great. Yeah. Um, but I will say too, just so I don't sound biased, Morris made some really good throws over the middle of the field short. So. Yep. 
And he seems to um he seems to feel a little more confident in the middle of the field. Yeah. Which would make sense. Yeah. Um and at this point, like I'm not even I'm not even like, hey, if if Chandler I think Chandler's gonna start this fall. Um if Chandler starts this fall, or if Max starts and then Chandler takes the job from him, um, I, again, that's not a referendum of like, oh, they should have started Chandler last year. Like, one, they're running a different offense. Two, they've had a whole offseason. Three, um, Max Duggan has been asked to be in a bad position for his entire college career. Like, it's just not, who Max Duggan could have been in 2019 doesn't exist anymore. Correct. And so if Chandler Morris takes a job, you're like, yep, yeah, that's that's the result of it. It's not a, oh, they should have, you know, they should have played him last year. I think we saw in the Oklahoma State game, like, there wasn't a magic switch to flip that suddenly made all TCU's problems go away. And the quarterback decision this year isn't going to do that. Um, I will say, speaking of being excited and, and maybe wrapping up on the, the spring game mm-hmm. a little bit, um, Pony uh, pony Hype, Pony Up Hype Train, uh, we've interacted a little bit on Twitter. They made a really good point today about um, how uh, Tulsa consistently kind of um, annoyed Sonny Dykes. Huh. And so the way he put it was, was a little tug-in-cheek, but he was fine. He's like, TCU hired the guy they couldn't beat, which whatever. And then Sonny Dykes did the same thing and hired the defensive coordinator that he couldn't beat. And so there is an element where you think, okay, a little bit of like an AAC super team here um, with a really high-powered offense. SMU had some defensive issues. He goes outside the program and gets um, gets a new guy. Maybe that's exciting. Maybe yeah. that's a good foundation going forward. I don't know. Yeah, it's encouraging. Um, okay, tell me about this. Yeah. Gary, quote. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't as exciting as I wanted it to be, but nothing ever is. So Drew Davidson, shout out to Drew Davidson. Uh, uh, I, I I said Davidson. I'm sorry. There's no D in that there's last not. name. It's, well, there's one. There's but... not a second D in that last name. Right. Drew Davidson. Um, in an interview with Fort Worth Inc. Mag, Gary Patterson explains why he hasn't talked much since his exit from TCU. Uh, the Fort Worth Mag says, when you left, many felt TCU betrayed you with the way it all went down. Oh, stop um, you right there. No. You don't feel that way. <laughs> Stop you right there. I need a minute. I we're gonna pause this. We're gonna pause the podcast for fifteen minutes. I need to say that. Um, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. History history is determined by the victors. Uh, is what I will say. Um, if you go back and do something differently, what would you have done? Would you have done anything differently? I'm going to read you Gary's response, and then I'm going to tell you uh, what it actually means. Um, Gary says, I've stayed away from the topic just because I don't think anything good about it. A good friend of mine that's in the newscasting business said, don't do an interview. He said, everything always comes out in the wash. And so for me, my interview is really coming back, still doing the foundation in Fort Worth, still trying to help. Now, I'm trying to prove to people... uh, (laughs) I didn't do all this charity work because I was a football coach. I did it because I care about Fort Worth. Um, I laughed in the middle of that because Grant text Grant texted me who the news person is. And I agree. Yes. Um, the answer to this is no, I wouldn't have done anything differently. I'm the victim. And um, everyone who's saying bad things about me is wrong. That's what this answer says. Oh, I could think of some things that he would have done differently, but maybe that's just me. Uh Okay, let's go back to 2020. If Gary Patterson woke up and it is March 1st of 2020 and he knows every... Well, let's go to April 1st so that he's not responsible for warning us about the coronavirus. If it's April 1st, 2020, and Gary Patterson wakes up, I I think there's... I think he... I'll ask you this. Does he release Take a Step Back? Oh, yeah. Yes, but don't release Game On. Take a Step Back. Don't release Game Game On. Game On was the one... Take a step back's a good song. 
Take a step back's a banger. Take a step back is still on my. I have an unimpeachable pool playlist. It's got like um, uh, it's got it's got a little Zach Brown on band. It's sure. got uh, Una Mas Cerveza mm-hmm. by Tommy Alvarez. It's got um, Don Five o'clock somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's got it's got to take a step back. It belongs there. I'm fine with it. Can I? Uh, uh, but he would not have released Game On. If you asked him, and I don't have the exact game date, if you asked him on let's say September eighth ish, two thousand twenty one. No, it would have been September probably tenth, two thousand twenty one. And he has foreknowledge of everything that occurs. Uh, do you think he still claims that an SMU player threw a helmet at at, uh, at Jerry Kill? I don't get that at all. That, okay, so one. Can we go and look back and say, I want to applaud, and I have said this as much to Jeremiah Donati, I want to applaud him because what we talked about on this podcast was, if CDC was here, that would have been the final straw, and yeah. that was the final straw. Donati, Donati has uh, more or less indicated that they were asking Gary to be done at the end of the season regardless, yeah. and that was the final straw, and so props to him for saying, yep, this is unacceptable, and doing it in a way where he didn't have, I mean... Obviously, there was going to be a stink. There was going to be a stink anyway this happened, but there wasn't a stink uh, of that specific incident. He was able to bury that a little bit. Um, yeah. I have to go read this interview. I'll, first, I'm about to... Okay. I'm going to take a deep breath. And then we're Are you going to take on. a step back? I'm going to take a look at my life. That's good. I'm going to hug my children, kiss my wife, etc., etc. Those are low-hanging jokes. Um, Grant, we are at, let's see, where are we at? Probably about minute 35. Um, okay, we're at, we're at, yeah, we're at 30, 37. Um, do you, okay, so I'll ask one more question about TCU mm-hmm. and then let's take a little, let's take a little Q and A. Um, we don't have to go super long tonight because it's off season. We're kicking around. We're getting back into things. We're stretching our muscles. Um, do you believe, uh, I'll ask you two questions. The, the, the line is 0.5 transfer quarterbacks that that are on TCU's roster this fall um over or under like additional transfers will they get another transfer okay. quarterback no no i i think i would take over i don't know who that is yet i have a couple ideas of who it could be um i tweeted a little poll out today I think that depth in the quarterback room is good. I think that TCU really only has three, maybe two and a half quarterbacks on the roster right now. And so um, not that, like they have more quarterbacks. I'm just saying guys like break glass and kind that of in case play. of emergency yeah. guys. It wouldn't surprise me if they got somebody. I think that a couple of the people that are out there right now don't fit the offense that they want to run. And so they wouldn't necessarily help. Um but we'll see who becomes available. I'm inclined to think yes. Even though Sonny Dykes did say the, the the that our quarterback is on the roster, he said that the week before spring game. He said that there's no like everyone who complained about that. Uh, hi, uh, Joel Anderson. Who are they going to go get in the portal? Who's in the portal right now? That's better than what's on the roster. Um, so like obviously at this moment he's going to say our quarterback's starting roster. I I think that they would like to have a. Um, an outside option. That's that's my thought. So I'm going to ask you this, and you don't have to reveal any, uh, you know, inside info that you know. Is there a quarterback in the portal now that you would like to see on TCU's roster, or are you hoping for someone to hit the portal? Um, I yeah, I would be hard pressed. I'm intrigued by Grant Gunnell, but yeah, um, I I, I think that. Like, I would be hard-pressed to say that Grant Gunnell is going to be better than Max Duggan or Chandler Morris. Right. I agree. 
And I, I just don't know if there's a domino that's going to fall that. Can I tell you who I would have been interested in? Justin Rogers is in the portal. Oh, God. Poor guy. I hope he's healthy. Um, Does Tate Martell have any... No, don't, don't, dude. Shut up. Um, Jaden DeLara from Washington State. Okay. He transferred to Arizona. And he's going to lose that job, it looks like, from some what Arizona people are saying. He, at at Washington State, was very much like... They they ran the run and shoot Mm -hmm. under uh, Nick Rolovich. Um Ex, <laughs> former coach, former coach, and current um, lightning rod, Nick Rolovich. Um, they uh, and and he was he's interesting to me, but I don't think there's any traction there. I don't know what he. I don't know what his like situation is. I think he's a grad transfer. Um, yeah. So so I I, I don't know. I I think there's a couple interesting like second guys that that might go maybe a maybe a move up situation. Um. But right now, I mean, it's going to be somebody that comes in in the summer. It's not going to be anybody like in the next week or whatever. Here's my thing, too. And this may this may make me sound like one of those old men we were making fun of earlier in the podcast. With the new system in, I don't necessarily want a one year fix because I, I don't think it's going to be, OK, we'll be we plugging a guy for one year and then. Maybe Sam Jackson will develop and he can start for two years. I mean, I would like to bring in sort of a, a sophomore junior transfer that we can at least keep on the roster for two or three years. Um, yeah, I, 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 and I would be opposed. I would be opposed to a grad transfer just because I don't think that solves anything. Yeah, it's it's kind of like my criticism of like very clearly Jamie Dixon is playing like transfer portal roulette sure. and. It, when you're winning, that's great, but also you, you need to be developing outside of that too. So, yeah, um, yeah I don't know. Um, so the the other question is uh, if they're going to get another another one, and then I was going to ask is is the transfer going to be the starter? But again, without knowing who that is, that's kind of hard to uh, see. Yeah, I agree, and I, I still think it'll either be Max or Chandler, and and it's I know you think it's going to be Chandler. I'd also put it at fifty fifty. Uh, just because Max has had the experience and, and Chandler's, I mean, the, I think the I might go so far, great, but the Oklahoma State game was really bad, and I know that's not Chandler's fault at all. I'm just saying, if you look at the available game tape, that's what we have. I think that I, I I don't think it's crazy. I think the question of who starts the season and who ends the season is different. Okay. Um, I think that. It wouldn't surprise me if Max started the first couple games and by conference play Chandler play Chandler starting. Oh, it's gonna be depressing. And again, I, I sorry, I, this is my own personal bias. It is nothing against Chandler Morris, who I'm sure is a fine kid, and again, beat Baylor. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna have to reckon with the whole the Max thing didn't work out. It's it stinks. It stinks because there's a vision for him to be a very successful quarterback. Look at what Baylor did with Gary freaking Bohannon last year. Just by saying, hey, we're going to fix our offensive line issues and set our guys up for success. Look what can you do with Bryce Petty? Max Duggan could have been Bryce Petty. He had a great college uh, Yeah, Bryce Petty was awesome. I don't know that he could, but he could. Um, yeah. yeah. But how'd you like, uh, how'd you like Brock Purdy to be a Mr. Relevant? Just look, man, life life finds a way. Like, you just can't make that stuff up. That's so funny to me. <laughs> um, and it's fine. Like, I knew he was going to get drafted. Like, smart kid, long starter. You know, durable guy wasn't injured often. Like that's the guy. He's like he's like Sam Ellinger light. Like people want that on the roster. That's totally great. I feel like Skylar Thompson got a very similar vote of confidence in in a draft pick. There, it's like, hey, seventh round. We need a scout team quarterback. We need we need a guy in here 
who can do the football guy things and will do the football guy things. And Brock Purdy will do that. Um, Brock Purdy is the uh, crazy whirlwind of variance outcomes, though. So, like, it's just funny that he's Mr. Irrelevant. Um, yeah, you just can't look. You just can't. You just can't make that stuff up. That's so funny to me. I just wanted to give you an opportunity. We have some. Um, I was trying to think. Like, I feel like I just gave that rant on another podcast, but it was literally a friend of mine asked me that on a, on the phone the other day. <laughs> I was like, I have too much of a reputation for that. I didn't take like joy in Brock Purdy's fit. Like, Brock Purdy got drafted. Good for him. Um, <laughs> let's look at a couple. We got a couple questions here um, that I want to toss at you. Um. So first, Matt Workman, shout out. What is why is X ruining college football? Um, I think that we kind of talked about that earlier. He just he just said what like why is blank ruining college football? I think we kind of kicked off. So we'll give the banter. We'll dedicate the banter to Matt's question uh, from from today's wow. episode because we kind of got yeah. There. Also, you could ask like you know, I mean, why is the NFL ruining college football? Would be a great question because like every NFL why is the NFL dra- draft ruining? Why, no, I'll be more football. specific. Why are NFL draft nerds ruining college football? Because there are a lot of people I like, like very funny NFL people, like, you know, watching tape, all that. And it's like, well, like Oregon's offense is giving me hives. And it's like, dude, it's, shut up. Like, it, it's, it's fun. You know, don't, don't, don't do this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Will Levis' top five pick does not have to happen. <sighs> Gosh. Um, man, 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 man. Okay. Yeah, another sorry. question. I just, I, 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 I got, I, watch that all that makes week. me annoyed i know um zach's delicatessen at i'm real angry great handle awesome. says in terms of advanced stats analytics how do ou and texas match up to the current sec will the current numbers be reflective of how they make the transition that is a an awesome question that i hadn't really looked at um i'm just gonna say shout out to zach we're i, I i'll think on that a little bit i don't know we, we can do a kind of a subjective grant. If, if Texas and Oklahoma were playing in the SEC this fall, that's certainly not a grand situation. They certainly have some problems. Um, in terms yeah. of program and competition, I think generally there's no reason they shouldn't be able to do what an Arkansas or an Auburn um, or an Ole Miss have done where they made a smart hire and did the right things and win some. Yeah, I mean, do you want to play the quick talking head game? Um, I mean – yeah, it's hard to say what Oklahoma is going to be under Brent Venables. Um, I mean, I would imagine to keep the train running in the Big Twelve, uh, but it, it is a change. Uh, and Texas obviously has issues. Texas obviously has issues under Sark. Uh, but if you put them both in the SEC West right now, I don't know if the SEC will move one of them to the East. I doubt they will. They'll probably shift. I, I don't know. But um, say say they're both in the SEC West right now. Oklahoma's fighting for second or third behind Bama. Um, Probably with Arkansas and Texas A&M. With Texas A&M. And then Texas is fighting for bowl eligibility, so nothing changes. Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's about where I'm at. Um, I mean, they both have talent on par with the rest of the SEC. Um, but again, t- complementary talent matters more than overall talent. And I don't know if they have the complementary talent to succeed in the SEC. Um, especially given that the SEC has passing offenses now and neither of them had good passing defenses. Um, in terms of like long term, that's interesting. I should run like a four or five year comparison and just see like, hey, how are you playing on the field? Opponent adjusted. Um, if I prepared more for this podcast, I could have had a cool answer to that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, DJ Crime Dog asked, Crime about, Dog. What's, the, what's up? What's the annual TCU spring game event like for its spring game booster event? Um, I don't know. Ask Jeff. I have no idea. First off, shout out Crime Dog. I was getting married. Congrats on the nuptials. Uh, I will say, I, so shout I, out to the future Mrs. Crime Dog. <laughs> Lucky lady. <laughs> I, uh, I have only actually been to one TCU spring game, um, which is 2016. Because uh, they keep getting canceled all the time. I know. No context. TCU football tweeted out an article that I wrote for the 360. TCU 14 or TCU beats TCU 14 to seven. Um, nice. The, I will say the one thing I remember from that game is that our the photographer from the 360, very uh, very nice girl. I won't say her name because she no doubt she does not want to be mentioned on the podcast. Um, could only stand in one spot and could basically only take pictures during the pregame. They would not allow us to take pictures during the game. So it was just like one, the picture we ran was Kenny Hill during warmups because it was his first season at TCU. And he was wearing a red shirt. We didn't have a picture of him at a TCU jersey until like two weeks into the season. And uh, <laughs> Gary spent like the last 30 minutes wandering the stands, clearly not paying attention. So it's like, well, dude, if you don't care, why can we not photo this game? Uh, yeah. But it was it's a very laid back experience. I don't really think people tailgate it, but you just walk in and, and catch the football. That's about it. I, I mean, I know that my crew um, has a little has a little tailgate and a little party and, and enjoys it. But I, I uh, again, the TCU booster base is not exactly as cogent a unit as it might be at other schools. There are factions, and so I'm not going to tell you about my faction because I don't want you guys wandering around trying to find my cool tailgate. But um, it's a cool yeah, that's tailgate. A Jeff, that's, I'll say that it is a cool tailgate. Uh, that's a Jeff question, I think. For uh, we'll, we'll ask um, we'll ask uh, Jeff at, at two four seven because um, he's TCU's uh, imminent bagman and bagman historian. So we'll see what he has to say about that. Um, I think the last question I have here is um, from from our friend Scott Wildcat. Shout out to Mission Kansas, just outside of Kansas City. Um, Sorry, Scott. I could I could say the street that you live on if you want me to give away a little more identifying uh, his, his license uh, plate is B one seven. The couple times that I've been in Kansas City the last year, I've hung out with Scott multiple times. He's good, uh, good, good, good folks. Um, he says I've never been to a TCU game in Fort Worth. I'm going to the battle for the color purple this season. Any tips? One great name for the game, uh, Kansas State at TCU. Any tips or tricks to maximize my game day? Um, one, I would say don't go to a game in August or September if you're from out of town, um, cause that's going to be a rude awakening in terms of heat and, and, uh, struggle. What are your, what are your TCU game day tips? Well, I'm going to go specific for this game just because I assume it's, do you, do you know when we play, uh, can't say, I'd imagine it's October or November. Um, and I'd also imagine that neither of those teams are going to be particularly, uh, Good. So it's this will be not be the 2014 top 10 matchup. No. Yeah, so I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be an 11 a.m. kick. So it's going to be 11 a.m. on October 30th. Um, Still pretty warm, man. Yeah, I know. Um, go get Swiss pastry shop before the game. Um, walk around. Yes. And, yeah, walk around and enjoy the tailgates. Um, they, they are fun. Specifically, try and get to Swiss pastry shop early enough to get their Heim kolache. It's yes. made with barbecue from Heim barbecue. Yes. Um, I don't get an endorsement deal for that. I do just love it. They also have a good jalapeno cheddar. Yeah. Would, would, uh, uh, would endorse that. Jalapeno cheddar is fantastic. Do you walk around, go to the tailgates. They are fun. Like, it's it's a good game to experience to walk around. If you're from out of town, like, I think I got tired of it, but 
Honestly, I think Frog Alley is kind of cool. It's a nice little like people gathering spot. You can people watch, kind of get a little taste of Texas. I'd try and park in the baseball lot. So that's what advice. I was going to say. Parking's a nightmare. Plan that. You can out. get like a single game pass for the baseball lot, and that's a pretty solid. I mean, it's like a half mile walk. Maybe you can take a six pack, drink a couple of them as you're walking, yeah. and then walk around tailgates and meet people. Yeah, try to secure a media parking spot. That's always very nice. Um, <laughs> or you can park on the complete opposite side of campus and hoof it after the game. The only thing I'll say after the game, every single place on Barry Street, University Street, is going to be totally packed. Make your decision. Do you want to club and go to 7th Street, or do you want to go to Magnolia, and it'll be packed, it'll be at least a bit less intense time. Yeah, I'd say Magnolia is probably a better move than 7th uh, after after the game. Um, if you get there, especially if TCU is not good and it's not like homecoming or like multiple sororities dad's weekend, if you're from out of town, you should go to the woodshed. You can sit on the river yeah. right there. It's close to campus. You can have beer. Like that's a good Friday night before. It get a little crowded, especially if there's like events, but um, that'd be a fun out of the uh, out of town thing. Um, and then Sunday morning to soak it all up, you can go to um, Malie's Taco Stand, which is cash only, um, right there by Swiss Pastry Shop, right there in Vickery. Also, also pretty solid. Uh, if you did if you did Woodshed or Heim, the West Side location, not the Magnolia location, on Friday, and then Swiss Pastry Shop, the game, uh, and then the other location you didn't go to after Saturday, you're having a good you're having a good time. I'll also give a recommend uh, recommendation to my guys at Yogi's uh, Bagel uh, Shop. Uh, which that's Vickery, yeah. I think. Uh, not Vickery. I, I forget my street great, names now. That's Hewlett. Hewlett. That's Thank Hewlett. Great, yeah. great breakfast over there. Um, It'll cure a hangover. I honestly, it's kind of one of those like take it for granted places because I'd gone so much. Yeah. So, like I didn't really go very much, but um, that was good. And then breweries, I would go to Wild Acre. Mm-hmm. I think RAR is good if you haven't been there. Like they don't have a great space, but they've got good beer and it's kind of a quintessential like Texas brewery. Um. Wild Acre has a couple of locations that are really good. Martin House has cleaned up. They've got a really great riverfront thing going on over there too. So those those are three I would it's check not out. Of Martin House's beers. Well, is, they do weird stuff. I, I, I can't say that it's all good, but it is weird. It's, it's intriguing, at the very least. And listen, after a TCU Kansas State game, you may want to try something out of the box after watching. Just sometimes you just need a chocolate pretzel pickle beer. I don't. I don't know, man. I've never had a pickle beer. I will never drink a I pickle beer. Pickle beer. Um, but, but I was given one, and I handed it back. I didn't want it. Um, gross. So hopefully we answered yeah, that question. Uh, Scott, text me where you're staying. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk. We'll figure uh, it out. <laughs> I, yeah. Um, Grant, we're, we're rapidly approaching an hour, and I believe our quality is, is waning uh, at, a, at a, a rapid, a similarly rapid pace. Um, glad to be back in the saddle. We're going to try and kick around some guests and – I solemnly promise to every listener that Grant and I are going to talk about a plan for a season preview to talk about every team. Oh, we're doing which it. Which last year, last year we just kind of went into it and I was like, oh shoot, we should have, uh, um, should plan it out a little bit. So we'll plan it out and we'll, we'll get some good content here. We're going to have a couple of fun grab bag guests, uh, and, and, and uh, kind of get back in the saddle here. So, um, anything else on your end, Grant? No, I was just going to say it's, it's the onion, uh, it's the onion headline, uh, Podcaster solemnly promises to improve audio quality next episode. <laughs> Podcaster solemnly promised to have planned for summer football preview, but we will. That yep. we will. We will, and it'll be better than a lot of stuff that's out there. So, um, this has been 
the Problem Theory Podcast. I am your host, Parker Fleming. You can follow me on Twitter at StatsOWar. Uh, that is Grant McGalliard. You can follow him on Twitter, spelled like it sound with all those vowels. He has a new job, and so he's tweeting more. It's good for all of us here. Um, other than that, we will uh, we will be back. Make sure you like, uh, like, subscribe, rate, review, do all that nonsense so that people who are interested in TCU football in the Big 12 from a smart and, I think, funny perspective are um, able to find us and uh, enjoy our content as well. Until next time, be good. Go Frogs. Go Frogs.